with the automatic shifts, smooth but with the pickup of a five-speed stick. See, once upon a time I had a dream from the look of what I'm seeing, it's reminding me of this. The irony of this life thing, funny how I always fuck up and do the right thing. That saying I don't question my moves, figure the more I know it, then the less I assume. This is your address, I presume. Told me don't bother calling, fall through about noon. Wanna know if I'ma be back soon. April showers bring May flowers, I don't know about June. Head first is high diving, hard as high gold, the sky's where I reside in. Negative attitudes don't exist at this altitude, easier for you to catch the vibe then. Great sweats under canopies, burning grapefruit, fresh picked off the family trees. Why ski overseas the affair, me and my team flighting somewhere overseas in the air. Welcome to another edition of the Scout Team Podcast. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. This is episode 15 of the Scout Team Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about my week in pro day visiting. Uh, I was at three different pro days where guys were out there working in front of NFL coaches, scouts, and personnel decision makers. And also, we're going to take a look at the reactions from our 32-team NFL mock draft. But first, you can always follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash podcast. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash footballgameplan where you'll find all of our scouting videos and uh, analysis that we put out there via video. We're 95% video, so be sure to subscribe to that YouTube channel at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. Also, don't be afraid to follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's footballgameplan. And by the way, our football game plan podcasts are also located on iTunes. So subscribe on iTunes, share it with your friends, tell your friends to subscribe on iTunes, all that good stuff like that. If you miss any one of our episodes of any one of our podcasts, you can find them archived not only on iTunes, but also on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. I'm also on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. And don't forget to follow our football game plan scouting website where you can see all of our scouting notes and things of that nature at FBGP Scouting and on our website at footballgameplan.com slash FBGP Scouting is where you'll find all 532 of our prospect rankings that we did throughout the course of the month of February. Those rankings are up and posted and you can get in-depth analysis on those prospects 532 once again that's a lot of people guys that's a lot of games watched you multiply that by three so that's what i don't know how much that is offhand i'm not good with math but that's a lot of games being watched it's a lot of prospects to help get you prepped for the nfl draft we got a lot of notes a lot of things to say about a bunch of these prospects so be sure to check that out on footballgameplan.com slash FBGP scouting. We're going to start this podcast off episode 15 of the scout team podcast with some draft questions. First one comes from at CM Belair. Why don't people like Jamal Adams, the safety out of LSU? I find that interesting that people don't like Adams. I mean, he burst onto the scene as a freshman where he was mostly a free safety transitioned into more of a combo guy. Uh, he has ball skills. He can play the run. He can cover tight ends. And some wide receivers, depending on the wide receiver, like he can cover a guy, let's say like Doriel Green Beckham, I believe. Um, but he can't probably cover a guy like a Brandon Cook. So I think he's a, a very good safety, good combo safety. I don't know why people don't like Jamal Adams. I don't know what they're uh, what what they would look for in a safety. 
But I think he's a terrific player and one of the best safeties in his draft. If You can make a case for him being the best safety in his draft class because he can do so much. He's not just a ball hawk or just a box safety that's a great tackler. He can do a variety of things and just brings a lot of value to a, to a defense. So I appreciate that question. Uh, next question comes from at Jordan underscore Woodson. Corey Davis or Mike Williams and why? Which one do you want? Well, you know, that's a great question. The one unique thing about us at Football Game Plan and what we do differently is that we grade guys at that particular position and also at the defensive line position uh, differently because these guys are going to play two different positions. So we can't ask, we can't grade them the same if they're going to be asked to do different things. So we graded um, Mike Williams as an X receiver or a split in receiver, and he graded out as our fourth rated wide receiver behind Amari Darbo, Josh Reynolds, and Carlos Henderson, he had an 85 grade. So he was still pretty high, highly thought of on film. And Corey Davis graded out as our number one ZY receiver, a flanker. We think he's better served uh, off the line of scrimmage as a flanker uh, where he can do so many different things, put him in motion and get creative with how to utilize him because he's so good with the ball in his hands and is good after the catch. So I actually compared his game to Brandon Marshall and what he brought to the table in his youth. And I think that's where – Davis can have a lot of success. He even graded out as a 93. So both guys are excellent prospects. And I, I guess I'm in a roundabout way or a long-winded way saying I would rather both guys because they both played two different positions. But if I had to choose one, I like Corey Davis. I think Davis is a, is a really good wide out um, because he doesn't have to go deep. He doesn't have to win one way. He can win multiple ways. Uh, he can win the 50-50 ball. He can do the. He can play above the rim. He can do the short game. He can play like a slot receiver. So by him being able to do so much uh, and be dynamic, I think you have to slide uh, side with him uh, as a as a choice between the two. Because again, he did grade out as a 93. Um, so he does have a lot of versatility and also has a lot of explosiveness after the catch. So. Appreciate you guys for those questions. Oh, well, Jordan chimed in with another one. Does Ben Boulware get drafted or he's an undrafted free agent? Well, that's a, you know, Boulware is a guy that he, he was very productive. Um, starter in the middle for Clemson. A really good linebacker. Played in the senior bowl. Had a really good week of practice there. Uh, but Boulware to me is he's kind of, you know, he's one of those guys that I think there's probably 15 or 20 Ben Bowers in this draft. He actually graded out as our 19th inside linebacker, right behind Andrew King out of Army. So um, I think he's a, a solid player, a good player. He had a 65 overall. Um, so I just don't think he's – he's probably a later-round draft pick to undrafted free agent. So um, I think that is where he should go and probably where he will go. So hopefully that answered your question, uh, Jordan Woodson. So appreciate those questions, guys, early on. Now, you look at this week in pro days. Uh, first pro day I was at was Monmouth, right there on the shore. First of all, Monmouth has probably the most picturesque campus um, in the country. I, I don't understand how these guys don't ace recruiting every year. They're sitting right on the Jersey Shore. It's a beautiful campus. Um, you guys know about their basketball team. Their football team is stout. I love the way they play. Uh, Coach Callahan does a great job. He's been there since that program started back in, I, I want to say, 1993. So, He's a living legend. He's a coaching legend. They're rebuilding their football stadium. A lot of positive things are going on at Monmouth, and they play a good brand of football because they're strong on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I say that to say this. 
two guys really stood out at the Pro Day workout, and that's Darnell Leslie, the outside linebacker uh, for Monmouth. He's 6'3", about 260, 6'4", 260. And he, he's also coming off a really good week, uh, I'm sorry, a really good workout at the um, NFL Regional Combine uh, in D.C. I was at that combine. He really tested well, and this was the first time they stood him up because uh, he played like defensive end for Monmouth. I was at the Fordham game where he was mostly a, a you know, defensive end and, and doing his thing that way, playing a run. He did that very well. But standing up and moving through the the bag drills and dropping in the coverage at the NFL Regional Combine, he looked great. So at his pro day, just wanted to see if he was able to build on that. He surely did. He, he was, again, very fluid, very good athlete. He jumped 41 inches on the vertical, man. That's just unheard of. And also an 11-1 broad jump. So those are some phenomenal numbers. Now, on film, he graded out for us. He was our 25th ranked outside linebacker. He had a 68 overall. Um, he, I, I talked to him at the regional combine. He brought up the fact that he, you know, I think a lot of people are underestimating my ability as a pass rusher because I wasn't asked to do that. And that's a good thing about talking to these guys and, and talking to coaches. You find out what guys were asked to do and what they didn't do. So before you you know, misgrade someone on something they can't do. First, find out if, if it was something they were asked to do. Let's say like a Leonard Fournette. Um, people will knock him because of his receiving, but he wasn't asked to catch a football at LSU, and why would you? I mean, you turn around handing the football, He's you know, he ran for damn near 2,000 2, yards uh, last year. But, you know, so he was. He said he, was, he wasn't asked to get, to the, get after the quarterback a lot in that defense, but he's a guy to keep an eye on. A lot of scouts were intrigued by his athleticism at the regional combine and more so here at the Pro Day. So he had a really good day and brought a lot of scouts to his attention by how he jumped in uh, both with the vertical and also the broad jump. And also Demetrius Smith, a defensive lineman. I think he's a brother of J.R. Smith, and he was another one that looked well in positional drills. And he's a guy at about 6'2", about 270, 275. Um, I think he can probably get up to a muscular 290. He's more of an inside, like a 4 eye type defensive lineman. Uh, with some quickness off the ball. He had a really good workout as well. So those were the two standouts, those defensive prospects. Next year, we're going to see a bunch of prospects on the offensive side for Monmouth offensive linemen. Uh, like last year, they had Rochelle, Midor, and uh, the tight end, Hakeem Vallis, that's now with the Arizona Cardinals. So um, next year, they're going to have some offensive linemen. They're going to have a free safety in Mike Basile that you definitely should keep an eye on. Fordham. I love going to Fordham, guys. Fordham is right there in the Bronx. It's a short trip for me, uh, which is why I like to go to Fordham a lot because it's right across the bridge, about 15 minutes from my house. So anytime Fordham has something, I'm going to be there because it's a close trip. I don't like the $15 tolls you have to pay to cross the George Washington Bridge, though. I could do without that, but I do like going to Fordham. Uh, Coach Andrew Briner, one of the youngest coaches in college football, does a great job with his program, and they run a tight ship with their pro day, too. So uh, very professional very organized. A lot of scouts were there in attendance because Faison Odom was the premier prospect there. Um, and the reason why I like how Fordham does there is because you have a bunch of schools within the area. You have Wagner, you have uh, Columbia, um, LIU Post, a bunch of schools that are within that New York City area. Stony Brook, even though Stony Brook has their own pro day, but you have those schools within this area. So if a, let's say if a guy from William Patterson, which is across the bridge here in Jersey, they can go work out at Fordham's pro day. So Faison Odom was the big uh, prize there, the 6'8", 240-pound tight end. He's our ninth-ranked H-back prospect with a 66 grade. So he's a situational starter, we believe, in the NFL. 
And he was on the scene two years ago. And what we wanted to see from him was, okay, can he continue to grow as a blocker? Because he has the obvious matchup um, problems with his receiving skills because he's 6'8". He knows how to use his body to wall off a defender, to play big boy ball in the passing game over the middle of the field. But how well can he move? You know, he was kind of lumbering two years ago. Last year, uh, this well, this past season, um, I thought he got a little bit better as far as blocking is concerned. Again, at that Monmouth game, he looked a little bit uh, a little bit better in that department, more willing to be a blocker than he was in 2014 when I saw him initially versus Army. Uh, but he can catch the football. He's very smooth. He's, he's, he's a lumberer, you know, but I do think because of his height and because of how well he's able to, to utilize that height as a skill, because normally size is not a skill, but he can utilize that. He plays his height uh, in a receiving, in the passing game. So he had a really good workout. A lot of scouts wanted to, you know, were intrigued by him, and he caught the football well. Punter Chris Frazier was a football game plan preseason All-American out of Cornell. They had the punters doing directional punting. Can you pin it inside the five? All right, can you, how far can you punt the ball? Can you give me a left corner punt or a right corner punt, directional kick? And he was able to execute all that flawlessly. You can see why he was an All-American. He was also just a consensus All-American, not just football game plan, but a consensus All-American at at Cornell and and an all-Ivy League performer. He had a really good workout. Another guy that had a really good workout was Wagner's H-back, Ryan Owens. He grades out as our number four H-back in his draft class with a 70-and-a-half overall. Um, He's another one. He can run the football. uh, He can play fullback. He can line up as an H-back or an inline tight end. I think he's best as an H-back, and that's where we graded him out at. And he caught the football extremely well. He's very fluid in his route running, so he had a really good workout. Again, those three guys I thought stood out the most. Uh, at that day, George Dawson, the linebacker from uh, Fordham, I think he's a solid playmaker. You know, is a guy that, again, going by what I saw at the Monmouth game, he was able to get pressure on the quarterback, force the fumble. He's able to drop back in in a short area coverage and play the, uh, you know, play those short routes real well. So he had a really good workout. Uh, he's one to keep an eye on. He could probably even be a CFL standout uh, moving forward. Then to wrap up my pro day week. I was at Yale's Pro Day. The The only Yale prospect of note there was inside linebacker Victor Egu. And I've been on the I've been watching Egu for about three years now. I really like how he looks like a linebacker. He has that horse collar, he wears number 10. He's 6'4, about 245. So he actually looks that part of an inside linebacker in a 3-4 defense, that Vaughn Johnson type linebacker. Um and I thought he did okay working out. You know, he's not the fastest guy. I think he has capability of playing outside backer, but I do think he's not that pass rusher. I like him better inside. He's a solid run defender. And one thing about him is that at 6'4", he does a good job in taking on blocks. He gets low and it's, and shows a little bit of ability to slip blocks and make a stop at or behind the line of scrimmage. And that's just going by three years of tape I've seen of him. A couple of games I've been to live uh, most recently last year when they played Penn, uh, he was doing the same things he, he was able to do. And Igu is a guy that I think is going to make his mark initially as a special teamer, but he's going to surprise some. And two other guys that are going to surprise, uh, quarterback slash wide receiver, Shazon Mumphrey out of New Haven. I thought he was tremendous. He actually was the only quarterback there. And he also played wide receiver while at New Haven. So he had to decide where he was going to work out. And he tested well, um, 
He worked out as a quarterback, again, being the only quarterback there. I think he threw the football – I thought he threw the football extremely well. I mean, he, he has good zip, good velocity, uh, working the short to intermediate uh, throws, was accurate, was on point. Uh, he had a lot of drops there, man. It was crazy to watch these guys. You know, I understand the nervousness and the, the you know, the uh, butterflies that are going on when guys are watching and, and evaluating your every move, but it was a ton of drops. Uh, you know, but the balls were accurate. Uh, they were on time. They came out with some zip. So I thought he threw the football well. He's another one that you want to keep an eye on. He, he can play both, quarterback or receiver. Uh, so he's one of those versatile athletes within this draft class. His teammate, Tyler Condit, uh, is our number 14th ranked inside linebacker, 68 and a half grade. Uh, we gave him on film, and he's a guy that is quick and explosive. Short area quickness and explosiveness. He can get from point A to point B in a hurry. He's a terror on interior blitzes. Um, he can he can even play fullback. I know, you know that's been he's been training to do both. Wherever a team wants him, that's what he's going to play. But I think he should stay at linebacker. Man, he's a tremendous linebacker. He again. He, he showed explosiveness in his 40-yard dash. I don't have the official time. Um, he also showed good footwork in the bag drill, so he had a really good workout. Both those guys represented New Haven really well, and I thought those were two outstanding uh, performers, in addition to the host player in Victor Egu at Yale's Pro Day. So that's all my uh, recaps for the Pro Day trips this week. I don't have anything coming up. Uh, April is going to be pretty quiet. We're going to be pumping out a lot more videos, um, some individual prospect videos that you can find on our website at footballgameplan.com slash draft or footballgameplan.com slash FBGP scouting. We'll take a quick break and come right back with some more of your questions. And welcome back to the Scout Team Podcast. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, but you guys already knew that. And getting back to your draft questions, this one comes from at Dustin Sellers 4. If T.J. Watt and Cordrea Tankersley, the cornerback out of Clemson, are both there at 28, who should the Dallas Cowboys take? First of all, T.J. Watt is probably a little bit overrated uh, by the media because of his last name. I think... By far, Tankersley is the best football player there. Actually, just looking through my grades, um, T.J. Watt graded out as our number 12 outside linebacker with a 70.5 grade, and Cordrea Tankersley is our number 10 ranked tight uh, cornerback in this draft class with an 80. So easy choice for me. Cowboys need help at in the secondary, so at corner in particular, I say go ahead on and take the guy from Clemson who's an outstanding corner. Uh, so appreciate that question, Dustin. And the next question comes from at Danny Hines or Danny Hernandez, Danny HNDZ85. What position do the Raiders pick at 24? Well, that's tough. That's going to depend on a lot of what happens before they get on the clock. So I, I, I would put it to you this way. If it came down to Let's say, for instance, a scenario plays itself out where um, Jonathan Allen, 
uh, or let's say uh, his teammate in Ruben Foster or even one of the three elite tailbacks in Fournette, Cook, or McCaffrey. If one of those three guys are there, so that's defensive line, linebacker, running back, to me, those would be the positions. Now, you just have to decide which one is more valuable to you and, and on your particular board. So, for me, I think Oakland has a glaring need at running back. They need a game changer. So, if Cook, Fournette, or McCaffrey is there, take one of those guys, and that offense will be virtually unstoppable. With that offensive line, with that quarterback, with those two receivers, and now with a third receiver in uh, Cordero Patterson, and those collection of tight ends, Oakland's offense is going to be phenomenal if they get that game changer in the backfield. So I would go with running back at pick number 24 if McCaffrey, Cook, or uh, Fournette is there on the board. So that's what I would go. Uh, thanks, Danny, for that question. Uh, moving on to things that are going on in the football scope, the football landscape, man. I, I just find it, you know, with, with all these, you see how people ask questions and, you know, you give your opinion. They, they really value your opinion or they just want to hear a different take because they get the same take over and over. I just feel like at times the media tends to try to freeze out the differing of opinions from other outlets or other people. For instance, you know, you have this Miles Garrett illusion, the illusion of Miles Garrett can't miss. And I talked about this in my mock draft for the Browns. Or, I'm sorry, not mock draft for the Browns. Um, it was for the Browns, but it was in my April Fool's mock draft. All season long, people talked about the Browns didn't take a quarterback in the first round. Uh, they didn't take golf. They didn't like golf. They didn't like Wentz. They ended up taking Kessler in round three, and we know how the season ended up playing itself out. They ended up playing two rookies, Kessler and also Kevin Hogan. Um, so it's like the Browns obviously need a quarterback. All season long, you've heard people talk about needing a quarterback. They need a quarterback. Deshaun Watson, uh, Deshaun Kaiser, uh, Pat Mahomes late in the season. And, you know, knowing they need a quarterback, especially since they went through five different quarterbacks. And if you want to count uh, Terrell Pryor playing quarterback in a pinch, he played a good job, actually, against Miami. He should still be a quarterback, but that's another topic for another day on another podcast, the Direct Snap Podcast. I'm pretty sure I talked about that before, so check that out at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. So the Miles Garrett illusion, right? So you have – they talked about quarterback for the Browns all season long. Now you enter the draft, and it's around the draft time. Because remember, at first, it was – at one point in the season, it was Jonathan Allen supposed to be number one because he was supposed to, you know, pre-snap he was in Dominican Sioux. During the snap he was Reggie White, and post-snap he was Eric Dickerson. So, you know, but then at some point it switched from Jonathan Allen to Miles Garrett, all of which I think is just the major media trying to slowly knock this quarterback class by saying that there's no one that they like to be number one. When – it's so funny because when you look at the talent, Watson has the leadership skills and the production on the field and is a winner. Kaiser has that NFL style that they like, the big, tall uh, quarterback with the rocket arm that also has good traits. He's not afraid of pressure. Case in point, stepping in against Virginia uh, in that situation, throwing a game-winning touchdown pass. So they have that particular player. You have the toolsy guy in Mahomes who is phenomenal throwing the football. But all of a sudden, at first it was, okay, 
Jonathan Allen is a clear cut number one. Cleveland would be stupid to pass on Jonathan Allen. Then it switched from Jonathan Allen to Miles Garrett, and you can't pass on Miles Garrett. When we spent the entire season watching him uh, limp through the first or limp through, let's say, six games of the season, um, dominate the early part of the competition where they were playing you know, UT San Antonio, Rice, uh, Red Beans, and all kind of schools like that, right? And then we saw him in a bowl game get blocked every play by Kansas State. Meanwhile, on the other side, Jordan Willis was dominating, killing Texas A&M tackles. So, but the media is telling you you have to, they have to take Miles Garrett. Because remember, again, earlier in the season, up to about, let's say, week, when when was, uh, whenever Jonathan Allen jumped over the running back trying to block a damn defensive end and made the strip sack, that's when everybody went crazy. The next day you saw Jonathan Allen go from, you know, virtually in the first, maybe second round to number one overall for the Browns, right? And for about a good four weeks, you got to get Jonathan Allen. Then it went from Jonathan Allen to Miles Garrett, who at that same time was probably around, you know, pick number 16 in all these mock drafts. But now the media pushes him back up to number one. Again, it's a slick way to knock this quarterback class that has three legit elite starters at the top. And they're trying to tell you, the, the fans and the public, that this quarterback class isn't what you think it is, so you have to get a defense. You just spent the entire season talking about the Browns need a quarterback, and they own the number one overall pick to take one of these three elite talents, and all you could say is take the defensive end, who is just an okay player. Amazing how that works, right? But if you have a different opinion, for instance, I have a different opinion. I think if you have a quarterback in mind, don't chance it. Prime example. We just saw this last year. The Eagles traded up to number two. They were gonna they were gonna be fine with whatever which, whichever uh QB the Rams didn't take. Well, what if they really wanted golf? And so the Rams take golf. Well, we're fine with wins. No, you really wanted golf. So if you are the Cleveland Browns, you're sitting there at number one and you know which quarterback you want, take them. Don't Try to play the draft game and wait until see what's going to happen at, at pick 12 or, oh, well, maybe we could lose some of our draft capital and trade our way back up to number two to take the guy that we want. No, your you silly ass is sitting there at number one. Take him at number one. It's that easy. You need a quarterback. And I mentioned all the talent they drafted. See, here's the thing about football, man, and this is why I get so frustrated because, again, they're freezing out differencing differences of opinion, uh, major media and outlet. They constantly push Miles Garrett. But when you sit down and lay it out logically, the Browns struggle at quarterback. There are three elite talents at quarterback. They own the number one pick. They can take one of the three. Whichever one they want, they have the opportunity to take him and not leave it up to chance. Also, defensively, they say their defense stunk last year. Well, the fans say because the media says, so now the fans say. So what I'm saying is when you don't have an offense that struggles to sustain drives, a lot of three and outs, they're not able to put points up on the board, your defense is going to be on the field a lot longer. It's going to look a lot worse. When you're able to sustain drives and give that defense a rest and time to adjust, they're going to look a lot better. The greatest show on turf, that defense that year was ranked 16th in the NFL. So the Browns don't have to go out and get a, a, a okay defensive edge prospect um, because, again, people say, how can you say they, they have talent on the roster? They drafted Nate Orchard, who's solid against the run that can power his way to the quarterback. They also have Carl Nassib. They also have Tyrone Holmes, who they stole away from the Jaguars after the Jaguars cut him. They also have Joe Schobert. They also have Jamie Collins. So why would in the hell would you put another defensive end out there when you know you need a quarterback? So 
clean that up a little bit, and there's the counter argument to why you shouldn't take Miles Garrett number one if you're the Cleveland Browns. Now, if you're the San Francisco 49ers, okay, maybe you're banking on a trade, a quarterback trade or something like that, or maybe you feel as though we could draft a guy uh, later on. Miles Garrett would be a great fit for them because you pair him up opposite of a guy that they have right now because they're old at the position with Ahmad Brooks, but opposite of him, they have Aaron Lynch. So you can envision a young team with Lynch and Garrett coming off the edge as Ahmad Brooks would be a great tutor to a guy like Miles Garrett, who still is very raw technically. And in the NFL, they don't have time to teach you technique. Only a few coaches at the NFL level, let's say along the defensive line are really great teachers. And so you have a guy that can be, uh, he can be an understudy to Amar Brooks. San Francisco will make the most perfect sense, in my opinion. But see, that's a different opinion. But if you turn on ESPN, NFL Network, all these major media websites, um, all you're going to see is Miles Garrett. Everybody's pushing that Miles Garrett. So now, if I come with a different opinion, people are going to think I'm the oddball, I'm crazy, when I just made all the damn sense in the world. You also see this with the Trubisky phenomenon. Um, Mitch Trubisky or Mitchell Trubisky uh, was a solid high school quarterback, very good quarterback, couldn't beat out or couldn't take the job away from Marquise Williams. Now, credit Marquise Williams for doing what he had to do to keep a guy that talented off the, you know, on the bench. Uh, but Trubisky played a lot. He played some, some games uh, for North Carolina. They needed him last year. And this past season – you didn't hear anything of Trubisky after week one when he lost to Georgia. You didn't start hearing anything about Trubisky until maybe after the Florida State game where, again, the media started to put out that, oh, this dude could be good. You know, he could be probably he – could, he could be good. And all of a sudden, he instantly becomes better than Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Kaiser, Patrick Mahomes from a tools perspective – Hell no, but since the media constantly puts it out there to where now people that are not slick to catch on to it, they are easily influenced to thinking like, well, you got to get Trubisky. Because if you think about it, ask any one of these guys at the mid-major networks or outlets, online outlets, to explain why they feel as though Trubisky is better than uh, Watson or Kaiser or Mahomes. And they're going to give you the same canned bullshit-ass answer like, oh, well, you know, it's just the way he reads the defense and – you know, he has that, he has the tools and, the, um, you know, he just scans left to right and he he, he has good football like Like, they can't give you a, a reason why. And if you want to get really technical, if you're talking about a one-year starter, let I guarantee you if Watson, Kaiser, or Mahomes had Trubisky's resume, they'd say no way in hell you take this guy in the first round. That's a guy you take in the third round which is funny because here's how the game is played. Trubisky's re uh, resume, 13 games started, right? Right. T uh, 30 touchdowns, eight interceptions. You look at a guy that played in the ACC with him that is a one-year starter, 13 to 14 games this year, 29 touchdowns, eight interceptions, actually has over 800 yards rushing, actually has 12 rushing touchdowns, actually beat him head-to-head one-on-one in a game. They said that you have to throw out because it was a hurricane, despite the fact that he outplayed Trubisky in that, that in the same game. And that's Gerard Evans out of Virginia Tech, who also, by the way, 
led his team to the ACC championship game and nearly bought them back. He ended up bringing them back in a victory in the bowl game against Arkansas. I say all that to say this. Trubisky took over a team that was very talented with Bug Howard, Ryan Switzer, uh, TJ Logan, uh, Elijah Hood in the backfield, solid defense. And this was the same team that just last year with Marquise Williams was in the ACC championship game. So not only did he lose to the dude that ends up going to the ACC championship game the previous year, uh, he lost that, you know, he couldn't beat him out. He ends up losing the head-to-head matchup to the guy that ends up in the ACC championship game this year against, oh, guess who else? Deshaun Watson. So why is Trubisky being talked about as the number one uh, quarterback in his draft class? That's the nonsense. But when you have the machine pushing you out there, constantly telling you this, you start to believe it. If people start to say Monday was Tuesday, people will start to think Tuesday started the week and not Monday. So that's what's happening, and they'll freeze out any differences of opinions. Um, because nobody, people love comfort, man. There's there's security in groups, but there's also mass suicide. Be able to stand out on yourself and be wrong solo, as opposed to being wrong in a group. No, if you you your eyes will not tell you wrong. You know this dude is not better than those three guys, and he's not better than Gerard Evans. So that's something that the media has pushed out there. But when you sit down and look at it logically, the, you guys are smart. Fans are not silly. People, they try to play you like you're silly. Fans have an idea of what's going on. They can look at a guy and see if a guy can play or not play. So don't let them tell you Trubisky is better than those four dudes I just named because he's not. And that whole idea of here's the other slick thing they like to say. Oh, well, so-and-so needs to sit and learn. Listen, let me take a swig of this delicious uh, Poland Springs water that I'm sipping on right now. They tell you that you have to sit and learn. Oh, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers did it. Tom Brady did it, Drew Brees did it, or Phillip Rivers did it. Like, listen, <sighs> and I'm tired of We actually wrote a book about this in a book, football, uh, Stiff Army Football Myths, where you can find it on our website at footballgameplan.com slash books. You don't sit and learn. You don't get better at football by not playing football. There's nothing you learn by sitting on a bench. And notice it only counts for one position, right? Because you can only play one goddamn quarterback at a time. So, that's why they say, oh, yeah, you got to sit and learn. No, you got to go out there and play. You learn by doing. Breeze, what, the Chargers thought Breeze was the problem when their lack of weapons was the problem. They drafted Phillip Rivers. Breeze goes and balls out because they finally started to feed the football to Antonio Gates and also run the ball with LaDainian Thompson. Now Rivers is on the bench. And if Breeze doesn't get hurt, Rivers would still probably be on the bench in San Diego or would be out of San Diego. I'm sorry, Los Angeles. So, that's the reason why Rivers set. Bledsoe was one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, and if Mo Lewis didn't separate his spleen from his body, Bledsoe would still probably have been the starting quarterback. Led New England to the Super Bowl, so that's how Brady got his start. And, oh, by the way, if you watch – see, a lot of these dudes don't even like college football like they claim they do with as far as discussing these prospects. If they watched college football, they would have realized that Brady was always this good. He was getting jerked around at Michigan because they wanted to play Drew Henson because he was the number one high school prospect when Brady kept coming back in the game and saving Michigan's ass and Lloyd Carr's ass. So Brady has always been good. It's not because he's set behind Bledsoe because – I, ideally, the guy that's sitting behind you, you're not going to help him out, especially since only one of you can get on the field at one time. If it's a, any other position, yeah, I'll help the guy, the young guy out because we can play at the same time. At quarterback, hell no. He's trying to take my spot. He's going to have to learn on his own. The other thing they like throughout, well, Aaron Rodgers said, 
behind Brett freaking Favre. So, again, I just, I do not understand. People will say, oh, what about Carson Palmer? Well, he said behind John Kittner, who was playing real well, didn't warrant him uh, losing that job to uh, Carson Palmer because Kittner was playing some good ball at the time. So, you don't sit and learn. So, these quarterbacks that are coming in right now, throw them out there. Imagine, think about it. If sitting and learning mattered, wouldn't Chase Daniel be the best quarterback in history because he sat behind Drew Brees, he sat behind Alex Smith, and he should have been a starter in Philadelphia, right, because he sat and learned for uh, half his career, right? You see how silly that sounds? And that's what sound, that's what it sounds like when you hear people bring that argument out there because, again, there's no differencing, no difference of opinion that's being put out there. You know, it's all about, oh, you got to sit and learn. All these quarterbacks got to sit and learn. You just watch this dude tear up Alabama, who they spent all season long talking about being the best defense in college football history. He tore them up twice, but now he has to sit and learn against some of the same dudes that's going to be out there in the NFL. It, I, it, see how it doesn't make sense? And and certain quarterbacks are not in a, a – they're in a, a no-win situation. For instance, take Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, a four-year starter, started as a true freshman at quarterback, which is very hard to do in college football. I'm speaking from experience. If, when I got to college and saw that playbook, I'm like, yo, what the hell is all this? Like, in high school, it was so simple. We had maybe eight plays in high school, and it was simple play calls, 34 dive. Oh, that's easy. Three back, four hole, off to the races. College, gun, Ron Ricky, 15, gut check with me. Wait, what? So now I'm sitting there trying to think of the play. I'm also trying to make sure I, I hear what's going on because red was hot, the audible. So if he says red 17, now it then went from 15 to 17, which changed my landmark as far as where I want to attack in, on his own play, which was something else I had to learn. So to go in there and start as a quarterback, as a true freshman, was impressive. Took Cole Stout's job and set his ass down on the bench. But now he has to go in there and, and so he goes out there and starts as a as a freshman and has what a 33 and 3 record um as a starter. And you it, so he goes out there and executes flawlessly. So if he goes out there and executes flawlessly like a good player should, oh well the offense was easy. But if he goes out there and struggles, is see, he can't function in, in the offense. It's too complex. You see how there's a no-win situation? If he don't throw if he doesn't throw picks, it's Oh, that's because it's an easy offense. If he does throw picks, it's because he can't read defenses. And this is one of my favorite ones, too, boy. When they, when people say, oh, well, you know, they they ran a simple one-read, you know, Fisher-Price, pink baby keys offense. I mean, anybody, I mean, it was simple. It was one read. They looked to one side to fill. All they did was just look to his left, and he threw left. Well, think about this. If it was that easy like you're describing, right, that easy. That you're basically saying there's a lot of dumbass defensive coordinators in college football that can't figure out the simple Fisher Price pink baby keys ass offense, right? That's what I don't get. But when you don't have a difference of opinion being brought to the table, you're gonna constantly hear like, oh, what well, a deep one read defense, can't read defense, he can't do this. The offense was too easy. It's a college offense. When in all actuality, once the goddamn ball snaps, it's all about completing passes and getting first downs and ultimately getting points. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how you throw a football. I don't care what you thought the play was pre-snap, as long as you don't screw it up during the snap. That's all that matters. And again, certain quarterbacks are always going to be at the disadvantage because the media wants to pr promote certain types. They love a prototype. And again, when there's not a difference of opinion, people will lash out. Just like last year when I try to tell people that Wentz wasn't a top 10, a top 
five talent. People lashed out, called me all kind of races and stuff like that. Told people at the Senior Bowl that Dak Prescott, Cody Kessler, uh, outplayed Wentz at the Senior Bowl. No, it couldn't because, you know, insert big media person here says otherwise. Like, all right, fine. And when he goes out there and if you look at the statistics, I mean, Cody Kessler has outplayed. And we know Dak Prescott won Rookie of the Year. So, but again, imagine if you had real-life conversations where someone may say Wentz is a first-round pick. I may have a difference of opinion and give you examples why. That's a productive uh, discussion, both of which will force you, the fan, or the reader, or the listener, or the viewer, to go and do your own research and take both points and say, okay, let me apply to this, 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 and this, and this, and come away with your own opinion instead of be giving instead of being giving given an opinion to take as fact when it's false, when you look at it on its surface and see that it's false, but you're trying to force yourself to, to see it their way. And I'm here to tell you, like, your eyes don't steer you wrong. You're very good at as far, as far as identifying who can play, who can't play. You're not silly. You understand this game more so than people try to make you think you don't. So I just say that don't allow the media to freeze out difference of opinion. If my views are different, don't say, well, you're just doing this to be different. No, I'm just doing this because this is what I see. Now, you can jot, you can, you know, link that up with what you believe and also link that up with what you've heard already. And at the end of the day, find out who is closer to being right or who's closer to being wrong. And that's how you go about it. Taking a look at some more of your draft questions, uh, at Javon10 asked the questions, what would be the perfect situation for guys like David Washington, P.J. Walker, Antonio Pipkin, would they fare better in the CFL as quarterbacks? You know, that's a that's an interesting question because all those guys have a certain pigmentation, if you catch my drift. But all of those guys are excellent passers. And, and you know, thanks for the question, Javon. But I think when you look at, let's say, and just read you my rankings for those guys, uh, David Washington graded out as our number six rated quarterback prospect with a 78.5 grade. Philip Walker out of Temple, and David Washington is out of Old Dominion. We just posted a video breaking down his game individually, so check that out on our website and also on YouTube. P.J. Walker coming off a fantastic career at Temple, graded out as our number four quarterback. So he's behind Watson, Mahomes, and Kaiser. Um, he has an 86.5 grade. Gerard Evans is number five with 85.5. He also mentions uh, Antonio Pipkin out of Tiffin, who is our number 12th quarterback he's right behind Mitch Trubisky with a 72 grade so it was funny about I'll start with Pipkin what's funny about him is that he came out of nowhere so to speak I remember someone hit me up and said hey what about this guy from Tiffin I had no clue who they were talking about I thought they were trying to joke you know uh punk me I, I had no clue and so I had to go back and look I was like wow and he got a senior bowl invite so he bypassed go collected his 200 and went right to Mobile um, so I found that interesting and he goes to Mobile. He had an up and down week of practice and, you know, it didn't have so well of a game in the actual game. I think he threw two picks, but people use that to say this guy should be, you know, you know how they do with guys of a certain pigmentation. If, if they throw one incomplete pass, uh, they got to go and play running back or receiver or, or, uh, off ball outside hash defender, whatever these new things people try to create to sound smart. But the thing is, you can't throw away his four years of outstanding game tape at Tiffin. He put together some good tape, man. He, he's a really good passer. Uh, obviously, you can chalk up that week of the Senior Bowl as far as having the jitters of being that Division II guy that came out of nowhere, so to speak, 
and uh, everyone wants you to be the next Carson Wentz when you're just trying to go out there and just complete passes. So I think for him, I like Chicago as a fit. Um, I like Carolina as a fit for him. Uh, And also, I I, I truly think uh, with his game and how he plays, I think Seattle would be a good fit too. So Carolina, um, Seattle, and damn, I just forgot the other team I just named. Well, those three teams I think would be a good fit for him, even Detroit, because um, the way he attacks the intermediate to deep area of the field, I like that about his game. I think you know that offense would suit his skills perfectly. So I like those fits for Antonio Pipkin. I'm not going to give anybody the CFL uh, fit because I want these guys to play in the NFL as quarterbacks. So um, looking at PJ Walker, this is a guy that plays a he played in a pro style offense at Temple and had Temple on the map. I mean. Notre Dame and Temple was the ESPN game of the week where college game day was there on Halloween night where Deshaun Kaiser put together another impressive show, let a game-winning touchdown, but apparently he, he can't play. But anyway, Phillip Walker had Temple receivers not drop four touchdown passes. They steamrolled Notre Dame in that ball game. So P.J. Walker or Phillip Walker has the talent to make it happen. He's a very good quarterback and uh, – I think his best fit, if we're being honest, uh, I like his fit in New York with the Jets. I like his fit actually in Arizona. I think he can attack each level of the field real well. Pittsburgh is another good fit for him. Um, and I would also throw in the Rams. You know, at some point, golf is going to – you got you to gotta look at golf and say, hey, man, you can't be out here, you know, chucking and ducking. Like, you got to do something. So I'd say the Rams – uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Arizona, you know, the Jets would be good fits for, for P.J. Walker. I, I like his fit. I think he's a really good, polished quarterback prospect um, that people need to get aware of. David Washington, he reminds me a lot of Teddy Bridgewater, you know, as far as like a slender build, throws with the glove, has the impeccable deep ball accuracy. We just did an individual video, video like I told you. Uh, you can check it out on our YouTube channel, but he's another one that has really good all-around game. I'm a big fan of what he brings to the table. So, And he's coming off his first full season as a starting quarterback. And here's a little bit of backstory about him. He came in as a quarterback that had Taylor Heineke, who was a tremendous record-setting quarterback at Old Dominion. So in order to get on the field, his sophomore year, he switched to receiver was pretty decent as a receiver. He wasn't groundbreaking. He wasn't like Braxton Miller. He was okay, right? So he goes back to quarterback his junior year, dealt with some injuries. They told him, hey, you know, stay healthy. Don't try to take off and run. He did that as a senior, led them to their first bowl game appearance and ultimately bowl game victory in the Popeyes Bahamas Bowl, throwing, uh, I think he had a he 20, uh, 31 touchdowns, I'm sorry, to only eight interceptions and was very accurate at all levels of the field. So, again, he's another one that has a deep ball accuracy. He stepped up in the big games. The game against North Carolina State, he was tremendous uh, versus the Blitz. He was able to stand in there, take a shot, and deliver a strike uh, over the middle of the field, deliver another strike on a flag route. Both flag routes he threw were perfectly placed touchdown passes, and he is an outstanding quarterback. And it was funny because I remember in that Popeyes Bowl, the play-by-play guy kept trying to make him out to be a, a scrambler. When you look at his statistics, and he barely ran the ball. I think he only had maybe like 120 yards on the season. So I just thought that was like ridiculous. It's like, why are you trying to make this guy a runner when he doesn't run? You know, so I just found that to be amazing. And I just think that is is 
sad that that's the case with certain quarterbacks. So I think that's where those guys will fit. Uh, so appreciate that question, Javon. Um, at Butang25, my man uh, asking the question, Ryan, boo her. I always always look at your last name, Ryan, and and, and don't want to screw it up. But at Butang25 asked the question, uh, what position – are you most confident in evaluating and which one do you struggle with the most? It's a great question. Obviously playing a running back position, I feel as though I'm most uh, confident in my running back evaluations. You know, I'm always going to uh, take part in those and, and be and you know, you're going to give my, you're going to get my, my freshest of takes at that, at that position. Quite honestly, to be truthful, I'm a dog at at, at uh, evaluating quarterbacks. Told people about Russell Wilson. Told people about Blaine Gabbert. Told people about Jake Locker. Told people about uh, what's the kid that's in um, what's the what's the what's the boy name? I sound like one of them old cats. I told people about Blake Bortles. You know, I told people that um, that here's how good I am with quarterbacks. Not only did I tell people Russell Wilson was a first round prospect, but I also told them that he will come in and start and take the Seahawks to. The playoffs, that is on video. That is still up, and it still gets a ton of views from Seahawks fans. Shout out to the Seahawks fans for showing that support. But I think I'm very confident in the running back position, quarterback position, receiver position, both receivers and tight ends, and also cornerbacks. Um, again, in in college, I played running back. Uh, in high school, I played receiver and running back, and also cornerback. I know the quarterback position because I, I've, you know, I, there's certain there's a certain it to the quarterback position. I feel as though I have that it, that the eye for the it. I'm not gonna tell you what that is because I know people go out and steal and create their own formulas based off what you say. So I will keep that. That's the secret sauce. Um, and it's and you know that that's not like thousand dollars in, in, in mayonnaise. And you know what I'm saying it's it's a secret ingredient that makes the quarterbacks good or not good. Uh, so I think I'm confident in, in those. And also linebacker because, again, if you know running back play, you're going to know linebacker play. Just like I'm pretty sure guys that are great, great at evaluating receivers um, that have played the position are also great at evaluating corners. Uh, the one I struggle with the most, I would probably say, hmm, that's tough, man. I would maybe offensive line um, because there's a lot of technicality involved. But what's interesting is that I say that, but I, I also am talking about, uh, I, you know, I'm talking about myself, but this is a guy that in 2014 had Gabe Jackson as his number two overall player in the draft, you know, and Gabe Jackson out there balling for the Oakland Raiders. I also had a first round grade on, on Tyler Lawson out of Utah State. And lo and behold, this season finally got his opportunity and, Panther fans were like, well, damn, we're going to get blown up because we're starting this this Larson guy at center. All the while, I had a first-round grade on him in 2014, and he goes out there and balls out, and balls out the rest of the season as a starting center. So I feel like even I have my pockets of greatness there, but I think that's one why I truly have to spend extra focus on um, to make sure I get the grade right because that's a very technical position. Um, D-line I'm good with, but offensive line is think where I struggle with the most. So thanks for those questions. Um, got one more. Uh, best team, this is coming from at other Rondo. 
asked the question, best team fits for Torgerson and Gerard Evans. I think Evans would be a great fit in Arizona. Torgerson, New Orleans. Short passing game, quick passing game. I like Torgerson in New Orleans. I like him in Kansas City. I like him in Philadelphia. Um, I like Gerard Evans in Pittsburgh. I like Gerard Evans in New England, although they just drafted uh, Jacoby Brissett. I like Gerard Evans in the spread offense. I like him in Carolina. I like him in Jacksonville. Uh, Torgerson, I also like uh, out west in Seattle, too. I think he can play in that spread system. He played that in um, at Penn. So those are some fits for those guys as well. And for Josh at Josh Siramita, Sir, uh, I hope I pronounced your last name correct, man. He asked about my running back rankings 1 through 10. You can check those out on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast. Footballgameplan.com slash FBGP scouting. Sorry about that. And finally, we're going to talk about the reactions to those mock drafts. If you haven't seen them, they're on our website at footballgameplan.com slash draft. And they're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash footballgameplan. All 32 seven-round mock drafts I did for each and every team. And, you know, I used – and here's the thing. I put the rules in the beginning of the video because I know people will always have the same reactions, right? Um, the, The mock draft rankings are based off my ranking of the prospects, so our FBGP scouting ranking of the prospects. They're also based off what I would do as a GM and what I believe the team needs are, right? So just some quick reactions before we get out of here, you know, Bears fans obviously hate Garrett Bowles at number three. I think, like, hey, if you're going to roll with a guy like Mike Glennon, and I don't have a problem with Mike Glennon, but let's build on that offensive line. Let's let's add a premier tackle. Uh, Bowles graded out as our number one tackle. And remember when everybody was like, oh, you got to take offensive line high? But when you give him an offensive line high, oh, my God, no, we don't want offensive linemen. People got to make up their mind. So they hate Garrett Bowles. If Bears fans have lit me up on in my YouTube comments. Browns fans obviously hate Watson number one. We already just talked that nauseam about why Watson should be number one over Miles Garrett, but you know how that that goes. And also, one of the common complaints I've seen, you have so-and-so ranked here when major media has them ranked here. Well, you silly, you know what? Maybe I don't agree with major media on this particular player, and that's okay. They also are trying to tell you that Trubisky is the number one quarterback prospect, but they never really explain why he's the number one quarterback prospect over a guy with a better track record, better game, better sense of pressure, all that stuff like that, right? Um, so I get that. How can you have – oh, the, this one happened this past week with Jalen Tabor running a, a four, a, you know, a five, eight, and a 40. Everybody's like, oh, is he still your number one cornerback? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Obviously, he doesn't play like he runs a five, nine, and a 40. He plays – faster than what he timed. He has great instincts and balls. He goes, why would I change my rankings over how someone someone did not playing football? That's what – so after the combine, do you have this guy – where do you move him up? Like, I'm not moving him up. You know, somebody was in my mentions this morning on Twitter saying the same dumb shit. Like, oh, oh so now where's – well, Conley can be fluid too. Obviously, he had an answer for everything. So I was like, yeah, you, you're right. Conley number one. Get out my mentions. People are crazy, man. So those two, how how can you have this guy ranked here? Or, or my favorite complaint for these mock drafts, there's no way player A will be at spot B in round Y. Like, yo, you can get all the way out my mentions. You know, those people are hilarious. No one knows what's going to play out in this draft. And I don't care where people go. 
my whole thing is, you know, where we have guys graded, if <clears throat> let's say if Jalen Tabor I have a 90 grade on, right? If he goes number one, if he goes in the fourth round, if he still plays at that 90 grade, then that's a win for me. I don't care. I'm not trying to play the mock drafting guessing game. Oh, this player is going to go here. I'm not in the rooms. You don't know. I'm just grading it. If they, so if, so if let's say a guy like Conley goes number one or goes before Tabor and Tabor outplays Conley over the course of his, let's say a three year, you know, stretch, then a, I was justified in having Tabor rated higher than Conley. That's the whole purpose of the grades and the whole mock drafts. And that's why, yeah, I may have a guy going higher than he will go because that's where I will take him because what's the purpose of doing something or creating a football game plan or creating an outlet to where you're just going to copy what everybody else says? That's dumb. And that's why we are totally independent in, in our analysis and what we do and how we do things, which is why you guys love us so much. So thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Scout Team Podcast. Went a little bit longer than we wanted to, but, hey, you guys got a great rant. You guys got some great content, and we catch you guys next time.